Um, and what I want to do for a minute is I want to take you back. How many of you have or do Advent calendars or some form of Advent as you move into the Advent season? Can I see a show of hands, people out there? I'm the only one. Holy cow. Okay, is this like a Colorado thing? I'm surprised, to be honest with you. Uh, growing up, we would always do an Advent calendar, and it would start, obviously, at the 1st of December. It would go up until Christmas, and each day, what you would do is you would open up whatever gift it was, and it was a reflection or an anticipation of moving toward the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so what's interesting is during this season, we've done kind of a simple advent calendar right now. We've got just kind of rings or sheets of little strips of paper that are hooked up on a hook in Noah's room. And each night we take one of those rings off and little by little, the ring gets closer to one left. Knowing that obviously when that ring is broken, we celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So this morning, what I'm going to do is I'm going to start off with a question, and that is simply this. As we celebrate the birth of Christ, our Emmanuel, what is the purpose of Advent? We talk about Advent. We speak to Advent. You've heard Pastor Keith say, it's a time of reflection. It's a time to slow down. It's a time to meditate and contemplate the coming and the arrival of our Messiah. That being said, I'm just going to give you a definition, all right? So what is Advent? Well, it's a noun. It's the arrival of a notable person, a thing, or an event. Synonyms are the arrival, appearance, emergence, materialization, occurrence, dawn, birth, rise, development, approach, or coming. And the antonyms are disappearance. Why do we celebrate Advent? What's the purpose behind it? And I think it's interesting to see that as we look, we celebrate Christ's birth on December 25th. It's a marked time. We know right now that each day that we advance, we get closer to the celebration of the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But what I want to also do is, is I want to encourage you that there was a period of time when people didn't know when or what this Messiah would be. We have the benefit of celebrating the fact that indeed Christ has come, he has lived, he has died, he has risen from the grave. But interestingly enough, notice how we too are in a mode of faith or anticipation because we eagerly await the second coming of the Messiah. And we know he is coming just as the people in the Old Testament knew that a Messiah would come. But like them, we don't know the day. And so one of the things that I want to encourage you in is to be reminded of the fact that, yes, we celebrate the birth of Christ, but the birth of Christ isn't just the only thing that occurred. Think through the fact that many babies are born, many babies live and they die, but this baby was unique. This baby was different. This baby would do something that only one can do, and that's what we're going to discover this morning. Interestingly enough, as we look into the Old Testament, this is sort of some statistics for you just to kind of give you an idea, and then I'm going to drive sort of the idea behind it as to what people were thinking, what people were hearing, what people were anticipating for thousands of years as they heard this story about 
there is coming a Messiah. There is coming a Savior. There is coming a brighter time. There is coming a glorious day. There is coming light to the world. And yet, what I'm going to tell you in a moment is, is as they continue to hear these things, the world got darker. It got more confused. It got more destructive. It got more separated. It got more divided. It got more desperate. Does that feel similar to where we might be today? Do we look around the world and do we see and do we have a hope, but as we see and look at what's transpiring, not only in our country, but around the world, do we see this darkness overflowing and wonder, where is the light? And is the light going to come? Interestingly enough, back in the Old Testament, what I want to show you is this. There are at least 117 prophecies, appearances, or foreshadowings, okay, and they're going to be coined PAFs, of Christ in just the law. Just the law, all right? So just take that part of the Old Testament scriptures, and you're going to hear or read or see 117 times this aspect of a Messiah, a Savior, a light of the world, something that will bring hope, faith, and salvation to the world. Interestingly enough, there are at least 144 PAFs in the writings, and there are at least 153 PAFs in the prophets, or the writings of the prophets. At minimal, the total for the entire Old Testament is therefore 414 times that we hear a Messiah is coming, a Savior is here, a Savior will bring salvation to the people. And that comes from Paul Hubner in his 400 Prophecies of Christ in the Old Testament. Why do I bring that up? Because one of the things that you have to remember and recognize is all through the Old Testament, all through that time, God was working with his people. God was establishing a relationship. He was developing an aspect of how much he cared for the nation of Israel. And interestingly enough, what we discover through the Old Testament is little by little, Israel behaved themselves, didn't they? Not at all. Israel wanted to do its own thing. Israel had its own pride. They wanted to be their own God. They made gods for themselves. And interestingly enough, what we see is God continues to passionately pursue these people and say, even though you continue to draw away from me, I want to be with you. But what I'm going to tell you is, is because of these things, there are going to be some consequences for the actions that you have. One of the things that we look at and one of the things that we have to recognize this morning is we've looked and we've celebrated the candle of faith. And interesting, we stand sort of in this middle mix of where we are in our faith with Jesus Christ in what I call the great drama of redemption. And one of the things that I think you need to remember and recognize is as, as much we want to celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ at Christmas, we also have to remember and recognize what happens after the birth of Christ. Remember that Christ comes, he lives, he dies, he rises from the grave, he ascends into heaven, he becomes the savior of mankind, and we now, in faith, knowing that Christ has come, 
anticipate the arrival or the second coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus. But these people, the nation of Israel, was awaiting the first coming of the Messiah. And interestingly enough, similarly to what we see going on in our world, things weren't going so well for the nation of Israel when a lot of these aspects of hope were given. When a lot of these utterances of the coming of the Messiah were testified. One of the things that you need to see in one of the aspects of Advent is faith. Faith in what is and what was promised. Faith in what has been done, remembering that Christ has come, he has lived, he has died, he has risen from the grave. And faith in what will be done through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Christ will come again. And so this morning, we rest in faith. Faith in what is known, and faith is what, in what is to be. So let's take a moment. We're going to turn in our Bibles to a text in Isaiah. We're going to be looking at Isaiah chapter 9. It's probably a familiar text to many. But before I read it, I want to let you know what's going on. Because we read this text, and it is a text of hope. It's a text of light. It's a text of salvation. But if we don't understand in the context of what it's written, it really has very little value. What's going on in this is that the people of God had been worked with and worked through the time of our Lord. But they had chosen to move away from God. And so what God does is he says, look, I'm going to tell you through the prophet Isaiah that you're going to go through a very hard time. An army is going to come. They're basically going to eradicate you. They're going to disperse you. The land that you live in is no longer going to be yours. You are going to essentially be their captives and their slaves for an extended period of time. And so what we see, as God promises to do so, the Assyrian army comes in and essentially moves the people of God out of their home. And I've said this before, but I want to put this in context today. We see a lot of things happening in the world right now where individuals are moving into homelands and essentially trying to claim or move certain parts of the land of which they feel they possess. And so the reverbances or the utterances that are there are so similar to what was going on during this period of history. And then in Isaiah, we see these pockets of hope. We see but. But I'm going to tell you, a Savior's coming. A Savior is coming, and he's going to be the light of the world. But to make it even more interesting, we see in the text of Isaiah, that God says, here's the deal. The Assyrians are going to come. They're going to remove you. They're going to disperse you. And then little by little, you're going to come back. You're going to sort of start having hope. And just when things get settled... Just when things sort of get normal, just when you think all is well, and you begin, as I know how you behave, to think you can do it on your own, and you begin to turn away from me again, I'm going to mix it up, and the Babylonians are going to come in, and they're going to take over the army that just took over you again. So you're going to go through a washing machine. You're going to go through a tumultuous time. You're going to look, and everything around you that you know, everything that's familiar to what you hold true, is going to be turned tipsy-tobby on its head. Why? 
because I'm here to tell you that the reason that I'm doing this is to show to you that all you hold true is material. Yet I am the one and only true God who will stand for you and will hold for you and will be there for you throughout eternity. And I will be the one who will bring a great light. I will be the one who will bring a great hope. I will bring the one who brings the Messiah to you, who will save you. Now, why is this important? In a moment, we're going to see this text, and it's going to be discussing this Savior. And it's so interesting in our world, because in our world, when we talk about a Savior, when we talk about a Messiah, when we talk about a King, we look at a material land. We look at a material aspect. And so many people, as they were being oppressed, were thinking, sure, we're going to be oppressed, but someone's going to come, and they're going to take us out of the oppression that we are in, and they are going to build a kingdom that will be here physically for a period of time. But interestingly enough, what do we know? All kingdoms come to an end. It's interesting because, and I want to be careful here, but we are moving into a season here next year where we will be choosing our next president. And what I will tell you is this. Someone will be president. I don't know who. But I will also tell you this. If America continues, if we go another four years, there will be another election and quite possibly someone else will be president. It turns. It changes. Governments come and governments go. Countries come and countries go. But what is unique about this Savior, about this King, about this Messiah, is his kingdom will have no end. Huh? What do you mean? Do you mean that his kingdom will come forward and free us from the slavery that we are in? Will he establish us and draw us away from the Assyrian army? Will he take over the Babylonians? Will we be able to rule? Will we be free? But wait a minute, you've said this. And interestingly enough, we see the arrival of the coming of Christ and everybody learns and says, there's our Savior, there's our Savior. And remember the context of what we are in. That Savior that the world believes in, that the world hears and says he is the one who is going to establish rule for us, who is going to clear this mess up, hangs on a cross and dies. Huh? You said you were going to establish an eternal kingdom through that guy. And that guy lies in a tomb dead. How are you going to do that, God? And friends, we sit on this side of the story. The benefit of knowing that God says, the kingdom of which I speak is not here. The kingdom of which I speak is eternity in my kingdom, of which, for those of you who believe in me, will live throughout eternity in heaven with a Savior, with a Messiah. The reason that I want to bring that up is how much more, how much greater is our heart driven to our Messiah Jesus when we recognize that this kingdom isn't fleeting. This kingdom isn't a political ploy. This kingdom will not be overthrown. But yet this king who rules with justice and dignity and respect will not change. 
That's what we're celebrating as we move into Advent. That's what we need to be thinking about as we move to the blessed time where we take a moment to stare at this babe in a manger. And so we move to the text in Isaiah. Interestingly enough, we just come off a pretty bad time. If you want to read through chapter 8, I would encourage you to do so. Basically, God is saying, I have some news for you, and it's going to be bad. But then he turns. And interestingly enough, we start off with this word, nevertheless. Nevertheless, O people of God, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. The people who are walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land in the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as the people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them. The bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, every warrior's boot used in battle, and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For unto us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on. And forever. Brothers and sisters in Christ, friends that are gathered here, one of the things that we need to be reminded of is that when we celebrate the birth of Jesus, we don't celebrate just the birth of a child. We celebrate the birth of God in the flesh. But we don't just celebrate the birth of a child who is God in the flesh. We celebrate the birth of the Messiah who has established a kingdom and its government will increase and that kingdom will last forever. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. And friends, one of the things that I want to share with you, it's so interesting how we are sort of melded in to this drama of redemption. Because the people of God, during the time of the prophecy of Isaiah, were going through an awful time. Their homes were being destroyed. Everything that they knew, everything that they rested on, everything that they believed in was being taken from them. And yet God says, I'm here. A time is coming. A Messiah will come. He will deliver you. He will draw you out of the darkness and bring a great light. Because he is an everlasting father. He is a prince of peace. He is a wonderful counselor. And so one of the things that I want you to see in the first five verses is this. Out of the darkness will come the light of Christ who will save us from our sin. 
The story that we're hearing about, the story that we're reading about, is not the establishment of an earthly kingdom to bring about our political desires or advance ourselves in this world. The kingdom that's being built is there to remind us that we are in desperate need of a savior. It's way bigger than a political advancement. It's way bigger than some form of government to bring people to power. It is there to save us from eternal damnation of what we desperately need. And this Messiah comes and he says, I will rule forever. It's interesting because we start off and we read a little bit of the history and God says there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. It's, it's, it's so interesting to read this word because it's definitive. It's declarative. There's no doubt in that statement. Okay, Isaiah isn't sitting there kind of going, uh, there'll be, I kind of hope, no more gloom. I really, maybe, sort of, kind of God said that. right? No, he's saying God has said there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. Yet, yet, as that statement is made, things don't get better. And the reason that I'm putting emphasis on that, and the reason that I'm sharing that with you today, is friends, there might be some of you out there who are here this morning, and you're sitting there, and you know that Christ has come, he has lived, and he has died, and he has risen from the grave, but your life is filled with gloom. And you're sitting there saying, is this really true? Is Christ going to come again? And friends, what I want to tell you, as we look to the candle of faith, that's where we have faith in what has happened, and we have faith in what will be promised. If Christ has come, if the Messiah is here, if he indeed was born, if he did die for our sins, if he did rise from the grave, if he has ascended into heaven, all of those things, all of those 414 utterances in the Old Testament, I promise you, the one that says... Christ will come again, is true. Yet we must embrace it through faith. The text continues on in verse two, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. I love that. Think about this for a minute. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Okay? If you're, a, if you're a grammatical teacher and you're looking at what's going on, you would immediately run to Isaiah and say, hey, you made a grammatical mistake here, okay? Something's not right because as I'm looking around and as I'm seeing what's going on in the country, there's a lot of darkness going on. So shouldn't you change that to the people in darkness will see, might see, could see, hopefully will, not sure? I mean, let's just get that right and then we'll send the paper in to see how it flows. And Isaiah says, no, there's no grammatical mistake. There's no error here. There's nothing wrong with what's being written. The people in darkness have seen a great light because what I'm going to tell you is what I'm saying is real and it is done and it is finished and it is final. Even though 
the world around you appears not to be so. Christ will come. You have launched the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as the people rejoice at the harvest, as the men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For a day in the Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke and burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. As they speaking back to movements of God where he showed up in a big way, demonstrating indeed that God was there when there was no physical way that it would appear that what? God's people would be delivered. If you do your homework, we talk about Midian. We talk about the Midian army, right? We see the story where God takes time and he advances individuals and little by little he decreases their size and decreases their size and decreases their size. And in faith, the people of God continue to trust. And what does God do? He shows up in a big way when physically there's no way that the army will win. Yet God shows up and says, I am here and what I say will be. And then we move into verse 6. Who is this person? Who will be this deliverer? What will they do? What are some qualifications of this person who's going to bring us out of darkness? And interestingly enough, Isaiah says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. Those words you could write volumes on of what God is doing for us. I am going to bring about a nation that will not be destroyed. And I'm going to do so by bringing a babe in a manger. But don't miss this. The trust that God has in placing his son among his creation of which he knows his creation does not want. And yet he gives it freely. We see these words, a whole nother sermon, to be honest with you, probably several, just in the utterances of who Christ will be. The government will be on his shoulders. People are thinking and they're sitting there saying, oh, well, this is going to be a worldly savior. He's going to deliver us from our oppressors. We get to the time when Jesus is born and people think, oh, now he will deliver us from what? Rome. And yet, Christ's government is so bigger than that. Take a minute and and recognize and, and, and think through this. 
We come here and we worship together in Faith Bible Church, yet simultaneously at this moment, there are other churches in our community who are worshiping our Savior. There are not only other churches in our community, there are other churches in Iowa. There are not only other churches in Iowa, but there are churches around the United States. There aren't only other churches in the United States, but there are churches around the world who are worshiping this Messiah. And there aren't only other churches around the world worshiping this Messiah. There have been the people of God across the centuries and four centuries to come who will worship the Messiah until God says, it's time. All in a babe, in a manger, lying humbly before God's creation. And this babe will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Those titles are given not just as some ploy to get him elected. Those titles are given because that's what our Savior embodies. That's who our Savior is. When you look at that person, when you look at Jesus and you say, he is a wonderful counselor, that is who Christ is. He is a mighty God. He is God in the flesh. And he is an everlasting father. Friends, one of the things that I want to I share with you, I know um, Christmas can be hard for some. I know uh, that sometimes individuals might look at Christ and perhaps in their life, their father figure has not been evident or present or part or perhaps they have a rupture with their dad. And on a side note here, what I want to share with you is what we celebrate in Jesus is that he is our ever lasting father. He is not going to leave you when you've placed your faith and trust in him. He cares for you. He loves you. You are essentially the apple of his eye. And if anything this morning, may that draw you to the place of recognizing and knowing that when we celebrate our savior Jesus, we celebrate someone who will not leave us because he is our everlasting dad. And better yet, the Prince of Peace. I wish I could tell you that with all of the diplomacy and all of the foreign policy and all of the diplomatic relations that are going on in our world, we're going to figure out a way to bring peace. Here's the problem. If I did, guess who I would be? Not Jesus. <laughs> I'd be the Antichrist. Think about that for a minute. Peace will come when our Messiah returns. And that's what we place our faith in this morning. That's what we trust in this morning. Because Jesus is, as his name is stated, the Prince of Peace. He's the one that will be priest to his kingdom.
And then we get into verse 7. And we start off and we read these words. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. That is quite a political slogan, right? That's a boastful statement. You better be able to back that up if I'm going to put my vote for you. This better not just be some political jargon that you're doing to get elected and then I come to discover that you just did it to get into office. And God says, I'm not going into office. I've established a kingdom for you where there will be peace, there will be hope, there will be light, there will be no more sin, there will be no more hurt, there will be no more destruction, there will be no more despair, there will be no more desperation, there will be no more death, there will be no more. Insert whatever word you want. There will be hope. There will be light. There will be love. There will be peace in the kingdom that I have made for you. And I will do that by giving you the gift of my son who will come as a babe lying in a manger, who will live his life, who will go to the cross, who will die upon it so that you might have peace with me. I love that. Not only will he bring peace, he will bring peace to you with me. Because friends, apart from God, apart from Christ, we are at war with him. There's so much to that word. There is so much there to cherish in what Christ has done for us. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, just so that you're aware. Obviously, we recognize in the utterances or the prophecies that are given, everybody said that the Messiah will come and he will come in the line of David. He will reign over the kingdom of David. And so everybody's thinking, great, we're going to get back to what we had. And God says, well, yes, but no. The kingdom that I'm speaking about is far greater than you can possibly imagine. He will establish it. He will uphold it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. And it's so glorious, and it's so beautiful, and it's so wonderful, and it's so comforting, isn't it? Particularly amidst a time of darkness for God's people. And Isaiah comes, and everybody has hope, and everybody says it will get better, and here's the deal, Isaiah goes. And a year goes by. And ten years go by. And 50 years go by. And 100 years go by. And 200 years go by. Don't worry, I'm not going to count all the way up to seven. But 700 years approximately go by. If, if I told you I was going to do something, right? Yes, I'm going to get this done. I will, I will make sure it happens. 
I will get it done for you. It's going to occur. And you come to me and a week has gone by. And I'm like, yeah, 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 I'll get to it. And another week goes by. Yeah, 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 I'll get to it. Can I ask a question? How many weeks can I get from you before you kind of get to me and say, he either lied, he's forgotten, or this simply isn't going to occur. And lovingly, I love some of you, but it's probably going to be about five minutes. At some point, you're going to say, this is a bunch of hogwash. This, is, this isn't real. And better yet, the next thing you know, I kick over and I'm in my grave. Well, it's certainly not going to happen now, <laughs> right? 700 years go by to the point that this glorious prophecy is all but a memory, all but a farce, all but a... And then all of a sudden, a star appears in the sky, and a Savior is born. Because God has said so. We move 700 years, and in those 700 years, I'd love to tell you that everything was great, and the people of God had an awesome time, and they were all singing Kumbaya, and they all got what they want, and every time that they needed something, God gave them everything that they desired and wanted. But that's not the story of the gospel. It got worse before it got better. It got harder before it became real. It got diluted before it materialized in the flesh. And we turn to a text in John. And we read these words. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And don't miss that. The reason that I chose John out of all of the other texts, and I'm not belittling the text, but so many of them move and they start with the birth of Jesus or the lineage of, of Jesus, which are all important. But the reason that I chose John is for the very element of faith. Why? Because we read these words, in the beginning was the word, and we realize that the word capital, logos, is referring to who? The living word, our Savior Jesus. In the beginning was Jesus. What does that mean for us, friends? That means that before the world was formed, before we see any form of creation, any aspect, Jesus was there. This has always been God's plan. This always will be God's plan. This will never change. In the beginning was ha-lagas, the word, God in the flesh. And the word, ha-lagas, was with God, aspect of the triune nature of our Savior the deity of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the doctrine of the Trinity. And, don't miss this, the word, 
Halagas, Jesus, Savior, was a good guy. Our next president, the next coach of the Denver Broncos, who will take them to the Super Bowl. God. Only one. Only one. He was with God in the beginning. It's always been. It always will be. It will not change. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Christ was part of creation. Christ has created you. Christ has created the world of which we are in and we are his. Have you placed your faith and trust in him? In him was life. And watch this. In that life was the light of men. I love how you tie that back to, to, to the text of Isaiah. Isaiah is speaking of darkness and a coming of light. Jesus is the light of mankind. Friends, we want light, true light. It's in our Savior Jesus Christ. The light shines in the darkness. But the darkness hasn't understood it. A little bit of light goes a long way. Light eradicates darkness. Light illuminates the way. And friends, what I want to tell you is this. Jesus is the light. And I lovingly this morning ask you, are you standing in the darkness? Interesting enough, as we kind of travel through this message, we see obviously that the promise given by Isaiah lies dormant for over 700 years. And there's a twofold purpose to this prophecy because Isaiah is saying a Messiah will come, I promise you, he will be born, but I also promise you that his government and his kingdom will not end. And we stand in the middle of that culmination of promise because Christ has come. Christ's kingdom will not end, but we are waiting what? The arrival of the kingdom of God. And so interestingly enough, as we travel through this, what I want to tell you and what I want to encourage you in to realize is that God fulfills his promise by giving us his son. Jesus is an infant, yet infinite. 
little babe in a manger in desperate need of what? Aid by creation. A little babe in a manger in desperate need of creation. Yet what creation doesn't know is that they are in desperate need of the babe. Jesus comes, he lives, he dies. Friends, we will move to Christmas, and I love Christmas time. We will move from Christmas, but what I want to also tell you is this. As much as I love Christmas, Christmas would mean nothing. It would mean nothing if we don't move to Easter and the resurrection. And so when we celebrate Christmas when we look to the babe in the manger, when we praise God for our Emmanuel, may we remember and reflect on the path of our Emmanuel and what it took so that we may stand before God today as his holy and righteous and claimed before God and part of his kingdom that will never end. We realize this, and just as the prophecy of Isaiah took 700 years to unfold, We know that it has been close to 2,000 years since Jesus died on a cross. It's interesting. I look at this, and, and I don't know. Nobody knows. But we're coming up on 2030. We're coming up on 2033. Okay? That's 2,000 years. Okay? Most scholars would say that Jesus died between the age of 30 and 33. We're coming up on 2,000 years. I'm not the best mathematician, but seven times three is what? 21. Almost three times. Almost three times as long. And lovingly, what I'm going to tell you is just as the people of God heard the prophecy of, our, 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 of Isaiah and they began to have hope, and 700 years went by, and they began to recognize or think, is this even real? So too, our world today looks at it and says, is this even true? And what I'm here to lovingly tell you is by faith in what has occurred, I stand in faith of what will occur. That just as the Messiah came, and in the beginning was the Word, so too will the Word accomplish what it has said, and Christ will return. The funny thing of this Advent calendar is this. I don't know how many more days there are. But what I do know in this Advent calendar, in the second coming of my Messiah, is that each day that I pull that rung off, I am one day closer to the return of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I do that in faith, knowing that the promises will come. It's been nearly 2,000 years since Christ died on a cross. He arose from the grave and went to heaven. And what about his promise to return? Jesus is coming. Take home truth. I just want to leave you with this, sort of the idea behind faith. Friends, through faith, okay, Advent helps us reflect on the promise of the arrival of Christ. Take 
time during this Advent season in faith and focus your heart on the coming and the arrival of the Messiah. That is so important. But here's what's also important. It allows us to rest in the promise of the coming of Christ. The second coming of Christ. Take time to also celebrate that Jesus will come again. Let's pray. Father, we do come before you this morning, and we just thank you for the candle of faith. We thank you for this time of reflection, this time of Advent. And I do pray that we would just take moments as we walk with you, particularly throughout this Christmas season, to celebrate the coming of our Messiah, our Emmanuel, God with us. But Lord, I also pray that we wouldn't just sit here and think about just the birth of our Savior. We would recognize the purpose and the mission behind the birth of our Savior, which was to go to the cross, to die on it, to forgive us of our sins. Father, thank you that Christ did so willingly, lovingly. Thank you that he is now seated at the right hand of the Father, just has been promised, just has been stated. And thank you that because of all of that, we can rest in the promise that God has given that Christ will come again. He will come and he will redeem his people because it has been said, his government, his kingdom will last forever. Father, may that bring hope. May that bring rest. May that bring joy to our hearts as we walk through this season. Father, help us to stand in faith in what was and in faith in what will be. We thank you. We love you. We pray all of these things in your name, dear Jesus. And we ask it by the power and the presence of our Savior Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. Amen.